Welcome, my friends. This is Art Walensky, the Messianic Jewish Expositor, welcoming you to another edition of the podcast. Now, in the previous message, which was entitled The Promised Land Covenant, we talked just a little bit about replacement theology, and I mentioned that it is sometimes referred to as theological anti-Semitism. We're going to talk more specifically and in more detail today about anti-Semitism. And let's start to do that now. So why are some people against the Jews? We often hear that people are against the Jews because they haven't been properly educated people. Not the Jews, but people haven't been properly educated about the Jewish people. So for those who believe that, the answer is more education. Now, if that were the case, surely the problem would have been cured long ago, at least in some locations. But that has not occurred. Anti-Semitism is found all over the world. Now, the cause is much deeper than lack of education. My friends, it has to do with the Messiah. When the Messiah returns, certain things are going to happen. Bad things for the enemy of our souls, Satan. He will be finished The book of Revelation talks about this in detail. Now, Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah, is Jewish. He has a very strong connection to the Jewish people, and they have a role in his return. Let me tell you something. If Jesus was not Jewish, there would be no Jew hatred. If Jesus was Italian we'd be dealing with hatred of Italy and hatred of people descended from Italians, both in Italy and in every other country where Italian people and their descendants dwell. Instead of Jew hatred, because the return of Messiah would be dependent on Italian people. By the way, I don't know why I chose to use Italian people in this example. Maybe it's because I care for Italian people and knew many of them growing up in New York and then later on in Boston and in Pittsburgh. In fact, without the friendship in college of Joe Migliori, an Italian-American man who helped me through some tough times, I might never have become a doctor. And another man, Joe Torriello, also a close friend and an Italian-American, was the minister who performed the ceremony when Suzanne and I got married. But the example would work with any nationality. Jesus, Yeshua, however, is not any nationality. He is Jewish and came from Israel. Why? I don't know exactly. It's what God decided. 
But your response to all this, to what I'm telling you, should be, can you prove this art? Because that sounds like utter nonsense to me, you say. And I respond by saying, I believe that I can prove it. And if you believe my proof, what does that mean for you, my Jewish brothers and sisters? Is what I am about to tell you going to drive you toward Yeshua, your Messiah, or is it going to drive you away? You see, what I am telling you is absolutely outrageous. I am telling you that anti-Semitism or Jew hatred is an indirect proof that Jesus is the Messiah because Jesus, Yeshua, is a Jew. And when he returns, Satan is done for. If the Jewish nation can be annihilated, not one single Jew remaining alive, then the Messiah will not return. That is what Satan wants, of course, and he's been working on it for many centuries. And as the season of Yeshua's return draws closer, Satan is ramping up his efforts much more aggressively. Does this make sense to you folks? In fact, I hope you will soon see that it is the only explanation that makes any sense, any sense at all. At this point, I'd like to talk with you about definition of terms. Now, technically, anti-Semitism means against Semites. And Semites are the descendants of Shem, one of Noah's three sons. And from Shem came not only the Jews, but also other descendants of Abraham, including Arabs. Anti-Semitism does not normally mean anti-Arab, however, so a better term would probably be anti-Judaism. But Judaism is the practice of a religion And anti-Semitism describes hostility or hatred of Jewish people, whether they practice the religion of Judaism or not. Hitler, for example, didn't care if a Jew practiced Judaism or not. To the Nazis, a person was a Jew if he or she was a physical descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And having one Jewish grandparent was enough to count that person Jewish. So a person was to be eliminated. Excuse me, such a person was to be eliminated or killed. In fact, Hitler's goal was to eliminate or annihilate the entire Jewish race. And as we shall see, there have been others in the past who also wanted to annihilate the Jewish race. So what shall we call hostility toward the Jews with the desire to annihilate them? I believe that we can call those who hate the Jews Jew-haters, and we can call the practice Jew-hatred. And what about those who say they have no problem with the Jews at all, that it's just Israel they hate? If the Messiah was Italian, these people would say, we love Italian people, we just hate the country of Italy and want to annihilate it. 
Now, does that make any sense? Of course not. Such people are either badly confused and don't understand what they're saying, or they are charlatans and deceivers. Israel is a nation, not just a land. Israel is made up of the Jewish people, all of the Jewish people, whether they live in the land of Israel or not. That's how God sees it. If you hate Israel, you're a Jew hater, plain and simple. Now, before we go further, we need to know three things. First, what is the evidence for Jew hatred? Is there such a thing? Has Jew hatred always been around? Is it widespread? Was it around before there was any significant return of Jews to the promised land? Was it around before the modern state of Israel was founded in 1948? Didn't there have to be Jew hatred in order for the Holocaust to occur, to have occurred, which was certainly before 1948? Are there people and even governments today that deny that the Holocaust ever occurred? I'm going to do my best to show you that the answer to all of these questions is yes. Now, the second thing we need to know is the reason for Jew hatred, and that's what we'll spend most of our time on today. And the third thing we need to know is this. Is there a cure for Jew hatred? I've already said that education alone is not the cure. Is there a cure? So first, what is the evidence for Jew hatred? I'm going to give you a relatively short answer because I believe that anyone with an open mind can see that anti-Semitism or Jew hatred is real. We have many examples in the Bible. We have Pharaoh attempting to kill all male Hebrew children at birth and so to eventually bring an end to the Jewish nation. Let's read Exodus 1. 15 to 17. Moreover, the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shiphrah and the other Puah, and said, When you help the Hebrew women during childbirth, look at the sex. If it's a son, then kill him. But if it's a daughter, she may live. Yet the midwives feared God, so they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the boys live. Then we have the attempt of Haman in the book of Esther, attempting to annihilate all the Jews. Let me read to you from Esther chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Then Haman said to king Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed, among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of all other people, and they do not observe the king's laws. So it is not in the king's interest to let them remain. If it is pleasing to the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those 
who carry on the king's business to put into the king's treasuries. Now we have another example in Antiochus Epiphanes, mentioned in Daniel chapter 8, and in the book of Maccabees, an apocryphal book, not inspired by God, but useful indeed as a history book. Antiochus Epiphanes attempted to expunge Judaism. Let me read to you from 1 Maccabees, chapter 1, verses 41 to 50. Then the king, Antiochus Epiphanes, wrote to his whole kingdom that all should be one people and that all should give up their particular customs. All the Gentiles accepted the command of the king. Many, even from Israel, gladly adopted his religion. One world religion here, folks. They sacrificed to idols and profaned the Sabbath. And the king sent letters by messengers to Jerusalem and the towns of Judah. He directed them to follow customs strange to the land, to forbid burnt offerings and sacrifices and drink offerings in the sanctuary, to profane Sabbaths and festivals, to defile the sanctuary and the priests, to build altars and sacred precincts and shrines for idols, to sacrifice swine and other unclean animals, and to leave their sons uncircumcised. They would make themselves abominable by everything unclean and profane so that they would forget the law and change all the ordinances. He added, the king did, and whoever does not obey the command of the king shall die. Now, another example of anti-Semitism or Jew hatred is in post-biblical times. We have the Spanish Inquisition attempting to annihilate all Jewry by either forcing Jews to give up their religion and all Jewish practices or killing those who would not obey this order. And of course, we have Hitler's final solution in which Hitler tried to annihilate the Jewish race in Europe. And had he succeeded, I'm sure he would not have stopped until no Jew would be left on planet Earth. Now, I certainly haven't documented for you every major instance of anti-Semitism in history. There are many, many more that could be mentioned. But I've selected those instances in which either the annihilation of the Jewish race or the annihilation of the Jewish religion, or both, was clearly in the mind of the perpetrators. And there is a particular reason for this. We've already touched on the reason, but we need to talk more about it, and we'll do that now. To see what the root cause of Jew hatred is, we need to look at a particular Bible verse, a very foundational Bible verse that I've mentioned before in some of these podcasts. Let me read it to you. 
Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Now, the Lord God is speaking in this verse. He is addressing the serpent and talking about the consequences of something that had just happened in the Garden of Eden involving our first parents, Adam and Eve. God told Adam that he could eat the fruit of any tree in the garden except the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God warned Adam that if he ate of that fruit, he would die. He would surely die. And he would die that very day. This instruction This dire warning was given to Adam even before God created Eve. But by extension, through Adam, the first man and the head of the human race, this warning was also for Eve. The serpent, through deception, tricked Eve, and she ate of the forbidden fruit and gave some to Adam, and he also ate of it. What happened immediately following this is known as the fall. The fall is a profoundly important event that led to catastrophic consequences, both physical and spiritual, for each and every one of us. And these consequences began immediately. The biggest consequence was death, but it wasn't the only consequence. Why these consequences? The consequences occurred because sin entered the human race right then. Let me read a verse to you from the New Testament book of Romans. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned, this New Testament verse explains through whom sin entered the world. It was through one man, Adam. The verse also clearly links death to sin and tells us that sin entering this one man brought death to all people because all sinned. How did that happen? Think of sin as a principle or a fundamental essence. It's something immutable, like a law of nature or a law of physics, like the law of gravity. However, this principle or law is spiritual, not physical, and it is horribly evil and it is devastating. It entered Adam, and although sin is not a gene, if it helps you to understand, you could think of sin as an autosomal dominant gene, a spiritual gene. It entered Adam, the first man, And it entered Eve, the first woman, because of the fall. And it has been entered, excuse me, and it has been inherited by each and every human ever since. Among other things, the fall is why we die. Why you and I don't live forever is God originally intended us to do. It's also responsible for the corruption of our planet. 
The fall has had incalculable consequences, and it continues to have consequences today. It is profoundly important. Because of the fall, because Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit in the garden, sin entered the human race. Because of the fall, every single man ever born has sin spiritually hardwired into him. And every single woman ever born has sin spiritually hardwired into her. And because sin is the cause of death, each and every one of us eventually die. Because of the fall, the rulership of this world in a certain limited yet very important sense was ceded to Satan. And he became the God, that's God with a small g, of this world. There's a verse in the New Testament that speaks to this. Romans 6.23. Let me read it to you. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because we all have sin in us, we eventually die. It is the sin principle in us that causes each one of us to commit sins. But God wants you to know that there is a cure. There is eternal life and freedom from the dominion and rulership of sin in Messiah. In fact, I'm going to read that verse once more to you now. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Messiah, in Christ Jesus our Lord. But I'm getting ahead of myself. We are here today to talk about the root cause of Jew hatred. What about that? The fall was involved. The fall, through which sin entered every single one of us, was caused by an act so evil and so consequential and so costly that the punishment that God has planned for the main perpetrator, Satan, is to spend eternity in the lake of fire, which is hell. You and I cannot, with our finite minds, even imagine how horrific this punishment is going to be. It will be a punishment fitted perfectly to the severity of the evil deed committed and fully earned by the main perpetrator. I believe that the prospect of this punishment has the perpetrator of the fall, Satan, so terrified and so filled with rage and so filled with hatred against God that there is nothing that he will not do in an attempt to avoid this punishment. Satan's attempt to avoid this punishment is the root cause of Jew hatred. Let me say that a second time. Satan's attempt to avoid this punishment is the root cause of Jew hatred. How does that work? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to read Genesis 3.15 once more. It's that important. 
God is speaking to the serpent, but really to Satan who is in the serpent. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. This verse, Genesis 3.15, is the first foreshadowing of a redeemer, the Messiah, who will reverse the curse of the fall. Let's now just focus on the last part of this verse. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Who is bruising whom on the head? And who is bruising whom on the heel? Adonai, the Lord, is explaining to the serpent that a person, one individual, a deliverer, a redeemer, is going to bruise or crush the serpent's head at some point in the future, and that the serpent will bruise or crush this redeemer's heel. This verse only makes sense if the seed of the woman is singular and not plural. And that is how the original Hebrew was written. Now, to show you that the pronouns in the original Hebrew were singular, I want to read Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 to 15 to you in the King James Version of the Bible, because back in those days, 1611, the words used for pronouns were different than they are today. Today, you can be second person singular or second person plural. Language was different back then. Here are the verses in the King James Version. Genesis 3, 14 to 15. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now the pronouns thou, thy, and thee are all second person singular, which is the way it is in the original Hebrew. Now why am I emphasizing this? First, because it is important to understand in order to make proper sense of these two verses. But isn't this obvious, you might ask? No, apparently not to everyone. I'm going to read to you these two verses from the Jewish Publication Society, Tanakh, the Old Testament, the 1985 version, which is, as far as I know, the latest one. Genesis 3, 14 to 15, in the Tanakh. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you did this, more, cur more cursed shall you be than all cattle and all the wild beasts. On your belly shall you crawl, and dirt shall you eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. 
they shall strike at your head and you shall strike at their heel. Now, when you read these two verses from this version, the Jewish Publication Society Tanakh, Tanakh, you can't possibly see a single redeemer here, the Messiah, a single redeemer. The translation of verse 15 evacuates the verse of its full and proper meaning. It's important not to miss this. Now, is this an attempt on the part of these liberal Jewish translators to write Yeshua, Jesus, out of these verses? It's possible. The Lord will have to judge. I can tell you that the translation of Genesis 3.15 in, on the, excuse me, on the ultra-Orthodox Chabad website does not make this pronoun switch. They have it translated correctly. But to restate, the Redeemer, the Messiah, Yeshua, the God-man, all the same, one single individual is going to bruise Satan on the head, and Satan is going to bruise Messiah on the heel. Now, there is a verse in the New Testament that speaks to this very issue. The verse is Galatians 3.16. Let me read it to you. Now, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. It doesn't say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is the Messiah. Now, that verse Galatians 3.16 refers back to Genesis 22.18. Let me read that verse to you. In your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you obeyed my voice. Now, this Galatians verse is talking about the Messiah, the Messiah, And I believe that Genesis 3.15 is saying the very same thing, meaning that the woman's seed is singular, representing one deliverer who is the Messiah. But there is yet another reason why the Redeemer must be an individual. That's because this deliverer or Redeemer must fit the, the picture of a biblical kinsman Redeemer as ordained by God. The kinsman redeemer, called the Goel in Hebrew, Goel, is described in a number of places in the Tanakh, the Hebrew scriptures or Old Testament. And this Goel is an individual and not a group of people. The best known kinsman redeemer in the Old Testament is Boaz, who redeemed Ruth a Gentile woman who became the great-grandmother of King David. To be a kinsman redeemer and to redeem a person or a people, three things are required. The redeemer, first, the redeemer must be a blood relative. Second, he must be able to redeem. And third, he must be willing to redeem. Boaz was a blood relative 
of Ruth's late husband, Boaz was able to redeem Ruth. He was rich, and Boaz was willing to redeem Ruth, the wife of Machlon, because he loved her. Let me read you a verse from the book of Leviticus, chapter 25, verses 47 to 49, three verses. If an outsider or sojourner with you becomes rich, while your brother beside him has become poor and sells himself to the outsider dwelling among you, or to a member of the outsider's family. After he is sold, he may be redeemed. One of his brothers may redeem him, or his uncle, or his uncle's son may redeem him, or anyone who is a close relative to him from his family may also redeem him. Or if he has grown rich, he may redeem himself. Now, this law of the kinsman redeemer is found in numerous places in the Hebrew scriptures. But I want to share with you a passage in the New Testament where a profound example and application of this kinsman redeemer law is applied to the redeemer of the entire race. Galatians chapter 4 verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now, the consequences of the fall required a kinsman redeemer to redeem us. The Jewish Messiah functioned as our kinsman redeemer. The Jewish Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus, in order to redeem us, had to be a blood relative. That is why, even though he was and is the Son of God and equal to God, he had to be human also, so that he could be our blood relative. He had to be without sin in order to be able to redeem us, and to do that, he had to keep the law the law of Moses, perfectly, which he could only do if he was without sin. The Son of God was without sin, and he had to be willing to redeem us. And he was and is. He willingly laid down his own life as the necessary blood sacrifice for us. Only the sacrifice of his perfect, sinless blood could suffice to redeem us all. Let's look at John chapter 10, verses 17 to 18. For this reason, Jesus is speaking now, Yeshua. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it away from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. Now, folks, here's a question. 
Can a kinsman redeemer who is Jewish redeem Gentiles? Meaning those of us here now listening right here who were not born Jewish. Absolutely he can. Ruth was a Gentile who in fact was grafted into the spiritual olive tree of Israel. In fact, I believe we can even say that Ruth is a type of the church. So let's sum up what we've talked about so far. In the Garden of Eden, a real place, Satan deceived Eve and told her that she could safely eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She and Adam ate of this fruit and in so doing broke the one prohibition or negative commandment that God gave them. What happened then is referred to as the fall. Sin entered into Adam and Eve. Because sin causes death, sin is the cause of all death, they died spiritually right then, and eventually they died physically. God's original plan was that they would never die, but have eternal life, and the same for us. Profound consequences for Adam and Eve, and for us, and for the physical earth that we live on, and for the whole world, followed. But even but God, even at this point, held out hope for Adam and Eve and their descendants. A redeemer would come, a kinsman redeemer, the seed of the woman, and he would disable Satan and later crush the serpent's head. This Messiah would reverse the consequences of the fall and the eventual punishment of the main perpetrator of the fall, Satan, would be profound. He would spend eternity in the lake of fire. This certain punishment and the fear of it on Satan's part would lead to his unending and relentless attempts to engineer the annihilation of the Jewish people because it is through the Jewish people that the Messiah, the one who will crush Satan's head, would come. That is the root cause of Jew hatred. How does that work? For the consequences of the fall to be reversed, the Messiah had to come the first time, 2,000 years ago. He came and he made himself an offering for sin in order to redeem us. Israel, as a nation, did not accept him at that time, although individual Jewish people have did accept him and continue to accept him. He has to return to come a second time to finish the job and to redeem the nation of Israel. And he will not return from heaven to planet Earth unless the Jewish people, as a nation, plead for him to return to save them. And the Messiah, Yeshua, or Jesus, won't return unless something very specific happens. Let me read you Matthew chapter 23, verses 37 to 39. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, 
who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you, from now on, you shall not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now in Hebrew, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord is Baruch Haba, Bashem Adonai. It comes from Psalm 118 in the Hebrew Scriptures. Let me read that to you now. Psalm 118, verse 26. Baruch Haba, Bashem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of Adonai. We bless you from the house of Adonai. So unless the Jewish people in Jerusalem say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai, they won't see Jesus again. He won't return. Who would benefit from that? Satan. Let me read to you a passage from the Old Testament book of the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah. That is relevant here. The passage is describing something that is going to happen on a particular day at the end of a period of time referred to by the prophet Jeremiah as the time of Jacob's trouble. It will be an incredibly horrific time. It's the second half of the seven-year tribulation, and that second half is known, again, as the time of Jacob's trouble and also as the Great Tribulation. So let me read to you from Zechariah chapter 12, verses 8 to 10. In that day, the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the one who is feeble among them in that day will be like David, and the house of David will be like God like the angel of the Lord before them. And it will come about in that day that I will set about to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Now listen to this, folks. Here it is. And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. So they will look so that they will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn So God is going to pour out a spirit of grace and supplication on the Jewish people. They will recognize their Messiah, Yeshua, or Jesus, and they will mourn. They will repent. They will fulfill what Yeshua said in Matthew 23, and they will say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Baruch Haba, B'Shem, Adonai which was foreshadowed in Psalm 
118.26. And what is prophesied in Hosea chapter 5 will likewise be fulfilled then. Let me read to you from Hosea chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. For I will be, the Lord is speaking, for I will be like a lion to Ephraim and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear to pieces and go away. I will carry away and there will be none to deliver. I will go away and return to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. In their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. These two verses in Hosea are about Yeshua, Jesus. At the end of the time of Jacob's trouble, which is the great tribulation, they will earnestly seek him, and they will accept him, and then he will rescue them. He will redeem them. It's going to be glorious. But what about the connection to Jew hatred? If the entire Jewish race is annihilated before this time, there will not be one single Jewish person left to look upon him and to mourn and to accept him. And that has to happen before Messiah will return to rescue the Jewish people and set up his messianic kingdom. That is why Satan must annihilate the entire Jewish race. That is the ultimate reason for Jew hatred. Because when Messiah Yeshua, Jesus, returns, Satan's career is finished. And Satan knows that. Now, I need to ask you a very important question. Do you want to have the assurance of eternal life now? I hope your answer is yes. I answered yes 26 years ago, and I've had the peace that passes all understanding ever since. I've had no fear of death ever since. My dear friend, please do not put this decision off. Whether you are Jewish or Gentile, please don't put it off. Accept our Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus, now and be saved. Please don't wait. You could die tomorrow, and if you haven't accepted Yeshua, you will have given up the right to a place in the kingdom of heaven. Or if you don't die, you could enter the time of Jacob's trouble. Believe me, you don't want to be in that time of great tribulation. Let me read you one more passage today. John chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The one who believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe has been condemned already, because he has not put his trust in the name of the one and only Son of God, Ben Elohim. What must you do to be saved? Just say a simple prayer, 
something like this one. Lord Yeshua, or Lord Jesus, I know that you are the Son of God, or Ben Elohim, and that you shed your blood and died for me so that all my sins could be forgiven and so I could spend eternity in heaven with God. I ask you to save me today. Thank you, Lord. As we close, I realize that there is one thing that we have not addressed today. What is the cure for anti-Semitism? I hope to address that with you in the near future. Please feel free to write to me with your questions or comments at drwolinski at comcast.net, D-R-W-O-L-I-N-S-K-Y at comcast.net. If you'd like to read a written version of this message, you can go to sermons.faithlife.com and find it under Art, under Art Walensky. God bless you, my friends. And until the next time, this is Art Walensky, the Messianic Jewish Expositor, signing off.